favorite comfort food, <laughs> Jocelyn? What is your favorite Asian comfort food? Oh God, there's so many. Um, <laughs> it's a really hard question. Of all the questions, this may be it, the hardest it one. It truly <laughs> is. I mean, there's rarely a time that I'm not craving Asian food. Mm. Um, rare, rarely, rarely, very rarely. Hello and welcome to Someday is Here, a podcast for Asian American Pacific Islander women on our ethnic journey and leadership. I am your host, Vivian Mabuni, and we are so glad you're here. Well, here we are. Can you believe it? Season three is upon us and we're still in the middle of the craziest year on record. Um, I don't think any of us would have ever guessed what 2020 would look like. Um, it's definitely a one star. Uh, would not recommend, you know, not very good. But we're making the best of it. And one of the ways that is really bringing me joy is thinking about gathering together um, in a, and bringing to you some incredible women for season three. And so I am so excited. Um, we are here, it's season three. Someday is here, and um, I am so thrilled for our team expanding. We will have Elise Zumi. She is she received her master's degree from UCLA in Asian American Studies, and she is the brilliance behind the Did You Knows. Um, I'm so excited because not only do we want a space for Asian American Pacific Islander women, AAPI women, to explore the journey of living uh, biculturally or in many cultures, but also um, the dream and the hope is that some days here would be a resource place where we would have some robust uh, learning going on about culture and history. And so I'm excited for Elise to be joining us as well. Um, all of the things that we've been talking about will be found in the show notes, which I'm excited will continue to grow and um, evolve. And um, I'm just, I'm so glad you're here. So please keep sharing the podcast with your friends. It's been so fun to see how the podcast has been reaching farther and further. Um, and just the feedback we've received has been so encouraging. So thanks for being here. And today's guest is Jocelyn Chung. And she was born and raised in Southern California. And she's the proud daughter of Taiwanese immigrants. And we talk all about that today um, in her journey. Uh, Jocelyn is wildly talented. She is the brains and the heart behind our Some Days Here logo. And she goes into detail explaining the textures and the colors and why she chose what she chose and the the meaning behind all of it. And it's just so beautiful. I cried during our interview after she shares about her journey. Um, honestly, I really can't tell you how much I enjoyed hearing from Jocelyn. And I think about who she is and I think about all that she has yet to do. And I just cannot I cannot stand it. It's so great. So enjoy today's show. Welcome back to Someday is Here. I, I think I look forward to every week being able to interview fantastic, inspiring, sensational, gifted, fiery, amazing Asian American women. And so today is no different. I'm so thrilled. I've actually, truth be told, have been trying to get Jocelyn Chung on this podcast from season one, but it's finally happening. And Jocelyn, as you heard earlier in the intro, she's a graphic designer and artist. She's the beauty and brains behind our Someday is Here um, design, which is so fabulous, but she has such a rich story and legacy. And I am just so thrilled, Jocelyn, for you to be here. So thanks for joining us. Yay. Thanks, Viv, for having me. This is really exciting. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, we're just kind of pretending, you know, we're still all in shelter in place. We're kind of pretending we're having a boba together. Yes. On an afternoon where it's warm here in Southern California. So. <laughs> That is so great. Well, Jocelyn and I know each other from, I'm trying to think like when we first met. Do you, can you remember? 
Um, I, I just knew because everyone would talk about like, oh, do you know Viv? Like I, I joke, I joke that Viv is like crew staff, like uh, a list celebrity. <laughs> and so when I came in as an intern, I was like, "Whoa, who's Viv?" And he's like, "Oh, you have to know Viv. Like, oh, you have to meet her. You have to meet her." And and then I had a friend who uh, is discipled by you, and so I just kept hearing your name around. And then we got connected um, as you were looking for someone to uh, work on this podcast and and do the design and the rest is history. It's so. so beautiful. Well, I remember Jocelyn was actually at the very first unofficial some days here gathering at our friend Jamie's living room. And I remember Jocelyn, you were sitting on the couch and you had your iPad out and you took notes. <laughs> Even the iPad, it was actually pen and paper. Yeah. Muji pen. Was it a Muji pen? It wasn't a Muji pen, but it was a Japanese pen. Okay, so Japanese pen, but she just, in a blank, like no lines, just like a cream colored, really nice paper. But she literally took my entire talk and transformed it into the beautiful graphics that you see. So we'll get all of that, you know, sometime during this conversation and obviously with the show notes, but blew me away because you're able to synthesize Mm -hmm. while taking in content and then you're making like words and phrases I mean, how like tell me how do you do that because you do that regularly I've yes. seen you do that with truth's table I mean you just mm-hmm. how do you do that tell me the process a little bit it's it's uh it's years and years of doing this so um I first learned like cursive and handwriting and stuff from my mom my mom uh, homeschooled us when we were younger and so she'd always make it really really important that we had to have like really good handwriting and like that the cursive had to look like really perfect and angled the right way um, and I really fell in love with handwriting and over time it just became like it was in the beginning like a lot of kids like doodling your notes for mm-hmm. school doodling your notes for class for AP lit for AP US you know just like <laughs> different things in high school And then it transformed into like, oh, I really love doing this. I'm just going to start taking notes this way. Um, And I remember seeing uh, Stefan Kunz, who he's a lettering artist from Switzerland. And he had this Bible journal in which he just had uh, these full pages of notes of like, oh, I read this chapter in Mm. the scriptures. And then I just copied every, like wrote out everything that I learned in that page. I was like, that's amazing. So in 2015, that's when I first bought my own journal to start doing Mm -hmm. that. And then I just started doing it for everything. And over time, over the last five years, it's been a a really cool process of learning how to think quickly about composition, to internalize Mm -hmm. information that I'm getting, but also to communicate it in a way that both expresses how I felt when I received the information, but also Mm. articulate in a way that is uh, digestible for someone who's reading it. So over multiple, multiple times of doing this, it's just gotten a lot easier. And now we're here. So now I have wow. an iPad. <laughs> and now you have an iPad. And I've seen you actually, I just, I, I'll watch you, you know, you're just kind of, you, you just kind of get into this zone and I'm like, uh-huh. I can't wait. I yeah. can't wait. I can't wait. So, so, oh, I love, well, before we go into your journey, I would love to, for our Sundays here listeners, like, you know, I yeah. have had so many people ask me, like, who is the brilliance behind the design, the, you know, <laughs> the background? So tell me a little bit of when you were creating, like we got together, you and mm-hmm. I at Starbucks, of course, and I kind of laid out some, you know, vision for what we were hoping to have for this, this community and the vision mm-hmm. for Asian American women and leadership and ethnic journey. And so you came up with mm-hmm. this incredible design. I'd love for you to like... <laughs> pull out like mm. what you were thinking and what the mm-hmm. symbols meant. So go mm-hmm. for it. Just, I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really fun being able to create this logo, uh, especially because Viv, what I appreciate about you so much is that you are a woman filled with vision uh, and like really uh, understand and celebrate deep meaning. And so that's something that I did want to do in this logo. Uh, I remember like, the squiggle lines being mm-hmm. symbolizing of water of many of us are, are from like over the Pacific uh, um, mm-hmm. from families that immigrated uh, over generations. Um, there's like two circles in there of remember like the, the 
symbolism of like risings and settings of suns of, of different generations that are passing one another as we share intergenerationally. Um, there's like two parallel lines as well of like uh, that we walk parallel to each other along this journey. There's different layers that are on top of each other because mm. we are complex people. Um, yes. And I remember the tick marks being kind of like a clock of like, hey, like someday is here. It, it's yes. arrived. It's here. And so all these things with like the yellow being uh, a, like a reclaiming of that of that color and that word mm. um, of, a, of as a celebration and also red. I remember red is just in many East Asian and maybe like more Chinese cultures as well, uh, symbolizing like, you know, like richness and prosperity and, mm-hmm. and luckiness and all these things. So again, all of those things put together was just then what birthed out of the, uh, this little logo over here. So. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, this little logo. I'm so proud of it. Like that was the <laughs> old, like I had goosebumps just hearing the description mm. again, but honestly, that was so important to me. Like it just was mm. like, because perception is reality. And, and when mm-hmm. I think of how Asian Americans have been portrayed, for example, in Hollywood, yeah, we're always yeah. the villain or the sidekick or, you know, the, the goofy one with no social skills or, you know, however it was, mm-hmm. but that so many people who have no Asian friends, Asian American friends, mm-hmm just assume that that's what we're all like. We're all good at math. You know, we mm-hmm. all know Kung Fu or something ridiculous mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And so for something to look really excellent was so important. Mm-hmm. So I just love that you brought and your that, And that wasn't in that like weird, like, you know, that like brushstroke writing yes. typeface that like they do yes. for everything, you know? I like, know, and Chinese bamboo shape. Yeah, no. and, and just, <laughs> and it, it was it was a good exercise for me even to think in reclaiming for myself of like, what mm. does Asian American art and graphic design look like? Yeah. Apart from what it has been, which has been more harmful or like monolithic than it has been yes. good. And so yes. that was good for me because I was like, I have to reimagine for myself mm. uh, what branding mm. even looks like for us. Yes. Uh, in a way, distinctly Asian American and yet discarding <laughs> these uh, maybe tropes of graphic design that are associated with being Asian. So. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. And yes. That's why I think the the other part when we did the live event and how Mm -hmm. it looked Mm -hmm. was so, Mm -hmm. I mean, Kenny Wong, I mean, everything he touches is, you know, turns to gold as well. Of course, we'll have a little shout shout out out to to you, Kenny. Yes. Always shout out to Kenny too. But it just, to me, visually, it was just so important that it was not, um, it, it just, it, there was just a sense of excellence and beauty Mm. and, and still distinctly Asian American, which you did it. So mm. I just, I just love that. So, yes, I'm so, so proud of our logo and the design, and I just, I'm just so mm. proud of you too. So, okay, so Jocelyn, Thank you. share with us, yeah, and the listeners. I'd love to hear some of your ethnic journey. Tell us about just who you are, and tell us your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I actually wanted to read a poem. Uh, I was listening back to all the different Some Days Here um, podcasts. And I, yeah, I wanted to read a poem that I wrote actually to share a bit about myself. And and I think that will kind of set the stage of who I am and what my story is like. So I'll, I'll read it. <clears throat> I am from a rich legacy of faith originated in the countryside of Southern Taiwan. I am from my great-grandparents' dairy farm of mango trees during the summertime, stories of tying strings to Japanese beetles and a house full of cousins. I am from the sound of my great-grandmother, my atzol, her prayers, the inflections of her alto voice, her four-foot-something stature, her quiet nature, her devotion to Jesus, her frail hands peeling lima beans, her matriarchal presence. I am from three generations of family immigrating simultaneously, building a legacy through chain migration. I am from grandparents who told me countless times, never say you're Chinese, you are Taiwanese. I'm from story, my grandparents' stories of 228 or Erba and watching their old bodies shake with pain and trauma describing that day. I am from Julie Ama's love of music and worship, her hands flying on piano keys, the constant sound of classical KUSC on the radio the memories of crying over piano lessons with her, 
from the awe of her daily prayers through the family tree. I am from Jean Akong's inquisitive mind, always building something, always innovating, always curious, always asking questions, always a student, always taking joys in the silliest and strangest of things. I am from Keiko Ama's palm studying, her remarks about auspicious noses, her scolding and her overwhelming love, her feistiness, her visions, her tears, her complexities, her words, Amajing Tiani, ringing in my heart, the sound of NHK on TV, bowing and saying, Oyasaminasai. I am from Keo Akong's irises planted in the backyard, his prophetic words over my life as a baby, the sounds of his rhymes and his jokes, longing that I had more time. I am from being born in a foreign land to immigrant parents in a trilingual household in Southern California. I am from my mom, her eyes crinkled, head thrown back, laughter, and her unbelievable endurance, her swallowed pain and her loneliness, her dedication to everything and every person in her life. I am from her learning spirit, her youthful energy, her homeschooling and substitute teaching. I am from our dysfunction, our mis-expectations and miscommunications, our yelling, our makeup meals, our joy, our growing, our forgiving. I am from her handwritten notes packed inside lovingly assembled lunches, endless platters of cut fruit and the smells of mosuitam rubbed on my chest at night. I am from the aroma of her neuromian and bobabong filling up the house, up the stairs, the smells of home. I am from her years of caretaking, of sacrifice, of gentle touch, and handwritten letters tucked away in backpacks and suitcases. I am from my Baba's dream-chasing, light-hearted silliness, laughter. I am from the sounds of his action movies, the smells of cigarettes wafting into my room, his constant photo-taking, his obscure hobbies. I am from his love of apple pie, his t-shirts with American flags, his thick but warm accent, the sound of his knees crackling when they go up the stairs. I am from his broken dreams and inconsistencies, the excruciating confusion of his abandonment, the hidden pain of his absence. I am from his sudden disappearances and sudden reappearances, the welcoming back of a stranger from overseas. I am from his unresolved trauma, his deeply internalized pain and defeat. I am from his sporadic conversations that turned into moments of healing, warm moments that quickly chilled. Moments of decision that ripped me apart and healed me. I am from my older sister, my Didya, my second mom, my friend. I am from her unending hospitality, her full body laughter, her tears of compassion, her questions of whether I've eaten yet, her overwhelmingly thoughtful generosity, her constant prayers and watchful eye. I am from my brother-in-law's loyalty and faithfulness, his steadiness and dependability, from long conversations that went long into the night, quantity and quality time. I am from my older brother's endless facts and knowledge, his dependability and advice, his hidden care through his sacrifices, late night texts, chopping it up. I am from growing up in his shadow to being uplifted by his light. I am from my little brother's memes, his light heart, deep mind, his keen observations, the sound of his laughter through the house, ordinary moments that are turning sacred. I am from my two nieces, Bailey and Leah, who call me Mei and the warmth of that treasured name. I am from their purity of compassion, their young and inquisitive hearts, their ability to observe and generos- generously give, the sound of them singing, their uncontrollable joy. I am from moments silently coloring with them, soothing my weakness, moments they have to me, moments I felt broken and overwhelmed that were restored by their presence. I am from a family tree that stands like a sequoia, loud laughter, with the house brimming with cousins and generations, the sound of the words, I am from names, oral stories, and full lifetimes in my bones, breath, and being. I am from their dreams yet to be realized, pain yet to be healed, and hope that lives on in my very existence. Wow. I I remember you sharing that off your phone in Starbucks and my eyes welling up with tears. And once again, I can't like, it's, you just, oh, you just captured so beautifully, so many nuances. So thank you. That was just mm-hmm. incredible, Jocelyn. Really, really grateful. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. Okay. So let's pick it apart a little bit because yeah. I love 
what you brought in in Yoromian, which means, you know, beef mm-hmm. and stuff like there's just, so mm-hmm. you mentioned like you, you know, your grandparents told you you're not Chinese, you're Taiwanese, like mm-hmm. help, help me understand, help our listeners understand yeah. the distinction and why. Yeah. I refer back to uh, Judy Wu Dominic's episode. Mm-hmm. She, she chops it up pretty well yeah. and explains. So I will, de- I will defer to her. But her, uh, her and my family are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been in Taiwan for generations upon generations. Um, there's a lot of historical pain uh, between the Chinese and the Taiwanese. Um, a lot of it being political, um, and yeah, especially with the Kuomintang that came in. Uh, there was a lot of pain, especially during, or, or again, I'm going to just refer back to Judy Wu Dominic because she uh, really parses that out a lot better. And, and I don't want to give more information that has already been shared, but um, yeah, it, it was really instilled in me growing up that like you are Taiwanese um, and that is your, like your pride and your joy. And we spoke Taiwanese growing up um, in my home. I shared a little bit in the poem. Um, that was like our main language with English um, and then Mandarin altogether. So again, trilingual, uh, usually the conversations in any circumstance in any house of any reunion that we have with all of our family is all three together, mm, all mixed together. Mm. Um, and so that, that is the sound of home for me. Um, my my grandma on my dad's side, she doesn't speak Mandarin at all. So she mm. only speaks Japanese and Taiwanese. And so because of that, uh, and growing up with her being five minutes down the road, uh, the, my siblings and I all learned Taiwanese for, through that, for, for that mm-hmm. reason, to be able to communicate with her. And so that that is the sound of home. That is, uh, in many ways, what I'm proud of, of being Taiwanese is that, um, yeah, Taiwanese Hokkien is like the, the language of resistance, mm-hmm. um, the language of, of when the Chinese came in saying, like, you can only speak Mandarin, um, they, they continue to speak on this language that is not written mm. and it's a dialect and, and it's dying in Taiwan now because of, of years and years of trying to wipe out this language. But there's kind of a rebirth that's happening. And, mm. and so I have a lot of pride as, as a young 24 year old, mm-hmm. you know, who's uh, in the newer generation um, carrying on within me this language uh, that really unlocks something for me every time it's mm. spoken. So, mm. Yeah. That is so beautiful. There's something so powerful about language. I think Mm. the identification, I mean, as important as food and the smells of home, but I think language, what we're able to... there are it be so I grew up speaking some Chinese because my grandma didn't mm-hmm. speak English mm-hmm. and grand, my grandma lived with us, and I realized mm-hmm. that there are certain things that we can't quite nail in English that you can in another mm-hmm. language, you know, mm-hmm. and so I just mm-hmm. I love that there's that continuation um and with yeah. with Darren being from Hawaii. Um, and mm-hmm. part native Hawaiian. It's really fun. My mm-hmm. oldest son, Jonathan, has been really investing time into learning native mm-hmm. Hawaiian because for the same reason, it's dying mm-hmm. out and these generations are missing mm-hmm. out. But there's so much richness and texture that really helps yeah. like enhance the culture because of the language. Yeah, I yes. didn't know that there was yes. not a written... So it's just... Mm-hmm. It's usually just Chinese pronounced a different way, mm. or people will phonetically spell out in Chinese what it, what is supposed to be said in Taiwanese. Okay, yes. So it makes no sense in Chinese, but they're phonetically writing it out. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I learned something. This is so good. Well, <laughs> I would love to hear, like, I mean, you've definitely um, kind of touched on, you know, just the pride that you have as a Taiwanese American. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, is there anything mm-hmm. else you want to add to that? Like what, you, you know, points that, you know, the, the good kind of pride. Yes. <laughs> yes. And as Taiwanese American. <laughs> I, I mean, even in being Taiwanese American, I think I have a lot of pride that like Taiwanese Americans, uh, and I can only speak again from my own experience, right. As a West coast. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, true. They're West not coast the, born, yes. West coast born Taiwanese person in Southern California, right. you know, all these different complexities, but I can only speak from that experience. But 
even um, when I think about growing up for me, I think about YouTube. I think about Asian YouTube, which was mm. like the foundation of me growing up. Yeah. And so many Taiwanese Americans were creators, you know, mm-hmm. like Wong Fu Productions. Yes. Um, yeah. They, they were the storytellers and creators of our time and were paving the way for representation and community mm. and like collective identity mm-hmm. um, even before maybe like the last two years, you know, mm-hmm. Um and so I, I'm really proud of that. Even Alan Yang with the release of Tiger Tail um, mm. on Netflix, which plug for him. Because, yes, um, Taiwanese. That, that movie has it's it's Taiwanese. There's Taiwanese spoken in there. There's Mandarin mm. spoken in there. You see the legacy of the history through the generations and understanding what terror looked like in Taiwan from the Kuomintang, yeah. even to understanding the loneliness that comes from immigrating. And so mm. again, storytellers. I I. I feel so proud that we're storytellers mm. and that we are people who, um, I come from like a legacy of writers in my family. Mm-hmm. Like my grandpa's a writer. He's a poet. My mom is also a writer when she was younger. Um, and so there's language that has been uh, written into our communities in some ways. And, and in a way, again, we, we get to be part of the storytelling. Mm. There is a flip side of like, we don't represent everyone, right? We don't represent all of the Asian community. And sometimes we dominate those spaces a little too much. Mm. Um, but there, there is something that I am really proud of, of, of those years in between growing up with Wong Fu production, mm-hmm. growing up with different Asian American creators, um, Asian American makeup YouTubers, you know, yes. uh, learning and understanding who I was understanding how to do these wings on my eyes. That's you know? right. That's right. <laughs> uh, it, it's all, it's all come, it's come from that. Mm. And so I, I'm proud of those things. Mm. Uh, Asian American. Yeah. I love that. You know, it's so fascinating to me because I, I think about like how we've talked about how representation matters and then to think mm-hmm. about how Asians did take over YouTube with millions of subscribers, you know, and there was oh, yeah. a place to really, um, I remember seeing a Filipino artist, I can't remember his name, but he, one of his gifts was to pay off the mortgage for his parents. And he did that as a YouTube mm-hmm. star. And I just bawled mm-hmm. and bawled and bawled, but mm-hmm. there was actually the, the creation the creativity had to be expressed. And because there was no way to get yeah. into mainstream Hollywood, it was like, let's take over YouTube. Yeah. And I just, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yes. That is beautiful. Yeah. And all those Asian YouTubers are super like connected and in community with each other too, even now, you know, like yes. they continue the, this community that they've built up. Um, which is really cool. So anyway, I love that. And that to me again is another nod to our collective. Like we just, we're, Mm -hmm. we always are thinking about who else is out there and how can we support one another and who's coming after Mm -hmm. us and who who are the ones that paved the way. And we're always grateful for it. So it's just, I love that display of Asian awesome. So that's so good. (laughs) This week's Did You Know is about boba more than what meets the eye. Did you know that the first U.S. boba shops were established in California in the 1990s? The love for boba has exploded in recent years. There are sometimes even several boba shops in one shopping center in various ethnoburbs such as the San Gabriel Valley, and recent scholarship in the past 15 years has revealed what many of us as Asian Americans may have felt but never been able to fully put into words. These boba shops have not only been significant places for Taiwanese American youth, but have also developed to reflect Asian American youth culture. It's become a safe space where the vast, complex, and multifaceted Asian American youth community can come together to learn and share about the beautiful and at times painful complexities of being Asian American. While we often think about transmission of history, culture, and identity as a vertical movement between generations, boba shops have allowed for the horizontal dissemination of stories and experiences as Asian American youth learn from each other what it means to navigate life as an Asian American. As Angel Trazo states in her MA Asian American Studies thesis, boba shops help facilitate conversations about the, quote, salience of race and place in shaping how Asian American young adults negotiate their self-identity, community belonging, and cultural imaginaries, end of quote. And that's this week's Did You Know?
so flipping that then, what for you when you think、mm-hmm. about it, what are some of your points of pain or have been? <sighs> How big of an exhale can I take on <laughs> in, in my mic?、Um, so much pain.、Um, and I mean, it's, it's been for me, the last five years have been. Especially integral. So, since 2015,、um, in understanding both、uh, racial justice issues, but also within my own ethnic identity.、Um, the, I think the prevalence of how white supremacy goes deep into the minds of East Asians、mm. uh, is so painful. I see, I see that in myself, even as I'm recovering from all these white supremacist ideas that have been. I was sharing with someone yesterday like,、uh, that it's like was in the water in the baby formula that I was grown up in.、Mm. And it's so deep within me to value white bodies, to value whiteness over myself, that it is this silent racial oppression that has been、mm. the most painful parts. You know, I have the same stories with many of the podcast people and or other podcast guests, and、um, many Asian Americans have, you know, of like, Yeah, how many times do we have to say it? Like, ching chong, ling long, pulling off,、mm. pulling their like uh, uh, eyes back, talk, joking about eating dog. My youth pastor used to joke about that all the time. He was、mm. a Cambodian refugee, but has a lot of internalized racism and just would project it on me all the time.、Mm. And like, it would, it would then allow for the whole youth group, which I went to a predominantly white church growing up,、uh, to. To say these things to me.、Mm. Uh, they, w- they, would, they would joke also about those things. They would like come up to me talking in different accents, and he would laugh, and,、mm. and I would just laugh and then feel the sickness of shame and embarrassment like well up inside me, but I had no language for it.、Mm-hmm. I was just like, I just know that I'm different, and I, don't, I just know that I need to cover whatever different is.、Yeah. And so I, I had this duality of like at youth group, I was like, I need to be white. My youth pastor, when he was younger, he literally told me in middle school, he was joking because he was single at the time. He was like, Jocelyn, if it ain't white, it ain't right.、Mm-hmm. Like about his dating life.、Mm-hmm. And, and I, I laughed. And even now, I look back, think back, and these are beloved people in、mm-hmm. my life, right?、Mm-hmm. I still have a relationship with them. Beloved people. They've formed me、um, in so many ways, they, they were mentors to me. Um, and yet, they have caused me some of the most deepest areas、mm-hmm. of pain and growing up in this very white、um, evangelical environment. And so, things like that I mean, the eyelid things、mm-hmm. <laughs> of like、uh, years and years of just trying to like rub and rub at my eyelids until they creased and trying to make、mm-hmm. sure that they were perfectly creased.、Um, and when they didn't, trying to use tape, but then feeling ashamed that the tape was exposed、mm-hmm. and、um, not knowing what to do. My sister got eyelid surgery too. And so, how do you capture how much pain there is? And the continued, I think, the silent oppression of、uh, erasure, which is the pain of Asian Americans. Which is continually being erased、yeah. um, and, being, and even self erasure.、Yeah. Like, I don't even deserve to have my story being told.、Mm-hmm. I don't even deserve to take up space.、Mm-hmm. Um, I don't deserve for you to listen to this podcast. You know,、yeah. just all these different things with, within ourselves that we're like, do people even want to hear our stories? And、mm-hmm. uh, it's this heavy weight of pain that comes from white, suprem- white supremacy、uh, that tells us our story doesn't matter, our trauma.、Um, And even through the, the legacy of cultural values, too, right? Of our parents and grandparents and great grandparents went through so many different painful things, like I shared in my poem,、mm-hmm. um, that they, they still don't know. It's hidden pain to them. Yeah.、Um, until you, you bring it out and it's like, oh, this has been intact for like 90 years. Yeah. This whatever pain that they've, and, and that's in my being, too. Mm. And so mm. <laughs> I know this is kind of intense, but I mean, there's, there's so many different levels of pain. of, In, in being Asian American.、Um, but the thing that I think about the most is silence.、Mm-hmm. Um, the silence that's been pressed upon us. Yeah. 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 Oh, that is so poignant. And I, I, I think it's, it's really one, I mean, one of the biggest pieces of feedback that I get from listeners to our podcast are the、mm-hmm. Asian American women、mm-hmm. who say, yes. 
you are just describing my lived experience, but mm-hmm. I never had words. Mm-hmm. And I think you did just that just now. And I just think there's just a lot of heads nodding mm-hmm. like, okay, I get what you're talking about. And, and that it is, and it's just, you're not alone, you're not alone, but, but sometimes we'd be left to feel that way. And then it's that awkward, like, haha, but no, that wasn't funny, you know, and trying to mm-hmm. navigate that. And I think one more layer on top of that, growing up with immigrant parents, they didn't have the wherewithal to yeah. help navigate that. So I just think no. even the language barrier and some other things, but it's like, mm-hmm. I just didn't have resources. And I think our, uh, there's a whole generation without the um, ability to navigate that. You know, like I think, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully with my own children, they've had a little bit more navigation because I have at least a lived experience mm-hmm. to help them walk through that. But that's not necessarily the yeah. case for the first generation or earlier generation. Totally. So that makes so much mm-hmm. sense. Yes, mm-hmm. for sure, for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's so good. Well, um, <sighs> I would love to hear just for you, kind of some of your North Stars or leadership principles of what you have kind of absorbed or mm. really um, admire or want to pass on or hope to live by. So the floor is yours. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Man, there's so many things. And again, I feel so young in these conversations about leadership. I still feel like one who is taking in so much information, you know, and and learning and and even growing into my own leadership. And um, a few things I think about is that, um, I mean, a, a basic thing is that like you as an Asian American woman can and will be a leader. Mm. <laughs> it's like so simple, but um, I grew up genuinely believing that was not ever going to be possible for me. Mm. Um, and I grew up diminishing and suppressing that within myself. I was like, I have leadership capabilities, but but no, 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 like mm. it's not me. Mm. It's, you know, like, uh, like, don't put me in the spotlight. Like my leadership, no, 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 like I'm not a leader. Mm. Um, and like, you are a leader and it does not mean that it's countercultural to your values, to who you are, to be a leader. And mm. uh, even when I think within my family, my like East Asian values are very often patriarchal, right? But within my family, it's it's a matriarch. Mm. We always define it by my Azul, my great grandma, mm. who, you know, she, she is the matriarch of our family. And then through my grandma and then through my mom. Mm. And so we have these strong women that I've been defined by my whole life, which I'm like, well, but why weren't they ever asked to pray? Hmm. They weren't asked to pray or to, to like share or like, you know, speak during family gatherings and stuff, but they are our leaders. Mm. And so you as an Asian American woman, first of all, like you can, and you will be a leader. Mm. Um, Another great piece of advice that I have gotten that I'm still wrestling with is like ruthlessly destroy your pride and ego, even as you claim your calling. Um, and that's, it's hard because again, sometimes as Asian Americans, we diminish our voice, diminish our own appearance and all of these things. And yet at the same time, how do we learn to also root up pride as, mm. as, leaders because the best leaders are humble leaders yeah. the best leaders know how to give a proper apology yes um that's another piece of advice there's i'm astounded by how few leaders know how to give a true apology yes. and um if anything devote yourself to learning how to apologize properly mm-hmm. um to really hear and to grow in emotional awareness and understand how to ask for forgiveness mm. uh, un- understand how to claim when you have um yeah, when you've messed up, mm-hmm. when you've caused harm, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not you intended it to just just acknowledge and empathize and repent. And and yeah, and I think that that is something that I've learned a lot, um, especially recently through the many different uh, women in my life who have been mentors and also different men who have been such strong mentors to me as well. Like these are the lessons that I've continued to learn from them as I've grown into my own leadership and my own voice. Mm, That's so good. That's so good. And I think it's so often that we have a very Western view of leadership. So we kind of Mm -hmm. think of it as, you know, very confident, outspoken, 
driven, yeah. you know, like the the quarterback and all of that. When mm-hmm. I think like we're certainly right now in the midst of COVID-19 and the countries that have done the best have been women <laughs> in leadership yeah. because I think we're collective and we yes. take in the viewpoints of many and can hold intention mm-hmm. a lot of that. And mm-hmm. um, it doesn't necessarily, leadership does not have that one size fits all. But the no, principles of respect from those we lead, I think, comes through mm-hmm. a life of integrity and what you talked about, that humility, mm-hmm. the ability to apologize and not say, yeah. I'm sorry if you felt offended. It's yeah. owning it. Like, my words yes. were offensive and they hurt you mm-hmm. and I'm so sorry. Like that, mm-hmm. I, I think that people who have been even hurt are very resilient and mm-hmm. want mm-hmm. really to have reconciliation once again, but mm-hmm. but it really does take an honest, like for real, humble apology. And I think as a, yeah. as as someone who's following, that weighs big for me. Like I yeah. I can follow a leader like that. I can follow yes. someone who is willing to admit when they're wrong. Yes, and I mean <laughs> it's such a strange time, right? I mean the person in the White House who's occupying the office, like he, he doesn't apologize or know how to apologize. And there are times where even we're warped to be like, okay, well, leadership looks very strange right now mm-hmm. in America, very strange. Um, and, and within that being like, well, but to be a leader is a humble leader. Like yeah. what profound, beautiful thing is it uh, to earn the trust of the people that you lead yeah. by apologizing yeah. and admitting humility? Yeah. Um, it's a powerful thing. And so uh, another piece of advice as well that I've gotten is like, go to counseling mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. as a, as a leader, yeah. go to counseling, yeah. take time to rest. I'm preaching to myself, even mm-hmm. as I say these things, like mm-hmm. I've been in counseling the last uh, year and a half and it's been uh, life transforming for me. Yeah. I have an Asian American uh, therapist and it's been life transforming. Mm. Um, and and to invest in ourselves and deem ourselves as worthy, especially again, as Asian American women, we, uh, maybe this is generalizing, but I watched within my mom and my, the matrix in our family work themselves to the bone and take pride as well mm. in doing that, you know, like mm. never saying anything, but like working to the bone and, and weighed heavily by like this heavy burden of life that they've been carrying. Yeah. Um, but at the expense of their souls, yeah. at the expense of their well-being, of their actual bodies. Yeah. Like I think about my my Gimbal, who's my great aunt. She literally took care of my great grandma, her mother-in-law, mm-hmm. for like 70 years, 60 years. It was crazy. Um, and by the end of her life, her I know the listeners can't see this, but she literally could only walk with her her back completely bent over. Wow. She couldn't even look up. Like her wow. entire back had been given to support the family, wow. to, to, to care for the leaders. And she's a leader in our family. Mm-hmm. When my great grandma died, she became the matriarch. And so at the expense of our bodies, sometimes our physical mm-hmm. bodies. So like that means like eating well and eating things that make you feel alive and not numb. Mm-hmm. That means like, mm-hmm. like doing yoga, if that's like what your full body prayer looks like, yeah. like doing yoga to stretch out go to a chiropractor, yeah. go to acupuncture, yeah. go to the Korean spa, but not during COVID because that's <laughs> not good. But maybe after they oh, reopen, yes. but scrub mm-hmm. down your body, you know, mm-hmm. like exfoliate it yeah. and uh, take care of yourself so that you can live on and, yeah. and continue to lead in a way that's healthy yeah. because many leaders burn out fast, mm-hmm. um, burn the candle at like, all ends Mm -hmm. and then they burn out and then they're bitter and angry and all these things. Not that anger is bad, but it, it, it can poison when it comes from having led without being rejuvenated and filled into too. So that totally resonates. I'm thinking about even how, like even to this day now, my mom, like she doesn't want to receive gifts. She doesn't want to, Mm. you know, they have the means for her to dress beautifully, but she yeah. has to wear the same, you know, house it's that, dress. It's that Chinese, like, kuchi yeah, thing, right? You know, like, it's like, oh, oh no, it's like, okay. No, no, no. And she's no, no, no. super generous with the grandkids and with me. But yeah, I just yeah. think how 
helpful it would have been for me to see my mom be good to herself because that would then Mm -hmm. help me to know that that was okay because I've had to do, Mm -hmm. I've had to go to counseling as well, you know, but just to kind of work through that, it's not selfish and that, you know, that this investment when I'm good to myself actually helps my sons and daughter to, Mm -hmm. I'm modeling for them, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and the joy that I feel when my mom does spend some Mm -hmm. money and buys a nice coat or whatever. And I'm just like, yes, thank you. So it's like, as my daughter sees me choosing to dress nicely or put makeup on or get my hair done or anything like that, I feel like it gives her the freedom to realize that this is okay to do. And those are soul nourishing things. Yes. And we model that. So that would be our Mm -hmm. like, you know, a little free, free takeaway for listeners. But you know, if you struggle (laughs) with doing, cause it's like, as a mom, I would sacrifice, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so it's not an issue at all that anyone else in my family go to therapy, but to yeah. spend that kind of yeah. money on me just feels like, oh, yes. it should be going towards meat mm-hmm. or, you know, rice mm-hmm. or something <laughs> for the family. <laughs> you know, just uh-huh. ridiculous. Where, uh-huh. where I'm yeah, not yeah. actually getting a bigger picture that the healthiest me is actually going to help serve my family in a way. Amen. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's a yes. great word. That is a really great word. Wow. Okay. Well, let's turn to a fun topic. Um, favorite comfort <laughs> food, Jocelyn, what is your favorite Asian comfort food? Oh God, there's so many. Um, <laughs> it's a really hard question. <laughs> of all the questions, this may be it, the hardest it one. It truly <laughs> is. I mean, there's rarely a time that I'm not craving Asian food. Mm. Um, rare, rarely, rarely, very rarely. Um, I mean, I share them in, in my poem too, but Neuromian and Lobabung. So Neuromian is uh, is Taiwanese beef noodle soup, mm-hmm. like braised beef. Braised beef that is like tender and like hand-pulled noodles that are uh, I don't know if listeners know what QQ means, but QQ is this like Taiwanese phrase for like this, literally like the texture of chewiness, like mm. QQ. So um, <laughs> awesome. like things that we say, <laughs> things that we say are QQ or like boba's QQ, mm. like uh, fresh noodles are QQ. So that okay. texture. Um, so yeah, Neuromian is one of them. And then loba bung, which is a uh, Taiwanese braised pork over rice. Ooh, mm. so good. Mm. Uh, just like, fresh bowl of rice like fluffy like little rice pieces and then and then like the minced pork or like big chunks of pork and then the sauce that just like like glazing all over the rice oh it's so good oh my um, goodness yeah that is those are my favorite and those just remind me of home because my mom would make those so often mm-hmm. and again the smells of it in the house um are really comforting to me so whenever I'm sad um it's the, it's usually those foods that like bring me back to life. Yes. Uh, so, oh, those are yeah. so great. Those are so great. Have you learned how to yum, make yum. it yourself? I have. Ooh, I have. Jocelyn. I have. So and I, I, I mean, not to do my own more, but it's like pretty good. Hey, it's not that my mom. My mom said it was good, so I was like, wow. I mean, I've made it. If my mom thinks it's good she's like oh it's better than mine I'm like okay no it tastes tastes different it has like it has like her love put in there I I don't have the mother's love piece yet so (laughs) maybe once I'm a mom that will somehow get transferred into my recipe into the broth (laughs) yeah yeah yes 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 that's so great well we will definitely need to eat that together at some point here I would love 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 that well how can listeners find you Tell us your website. <laughs> They've got to come see your lettering, your artwork. I mean, oh, so good. Tell us everything. Thanks. Um, well, I have a website, um, jocelynchung.co, um, that C-O. Uh, that is my website. You can find all my work there, my lettering work, resources, things like that. I have a shop with prints and stickers available as well. Um, and then Instagram is usually where people <laughs> find uh, me as also at Jossa Kitty Lama. It's a little funny uh, name, but J-O-C-E Kitty Lama. That is my Instagram handle. And then I'm also on Patreon now Ooh, as of like yesterday. So that's very exciting. Um, yeah, you can find me on Patreon if you'd like to support my work and see some behind the scenes uh, views of my art and my process. Nice. So if, if you wish that you were in the room like Vivian watching me do those yes. notes, I will post videos mm-hmm. of my process on there and and just share more about my faith and anti-racism journey and 
decolonization of my faith and a continuation of learning that mm-hmm. continues on um, every day. So I love it. And also that's we, where you can find me. We'll link all the stuff in the show notes as well. And I remember yes. there was a video that you did for Alabaster where you were painting. Yeah. So maybe yeah, you can I'll, share that link. Buddies at well. Yes. Maybe you could share a link there <laughs> yeah. too. So people could see that. That was really, really beautiful. Shout out to Alabaster Yay. and Brian Chung. Yeah. Um, both Brian Chung's. They're great. Yeah. Brian and Brian. Oh, that's so fun. I love it. I love it. So great. Well, Jocelyn, thank you so much for being such an amazing guest on the Some Days Here podcast. <laughs> Love having you, and I cannot wait to see what the next five years and the next 50 years brings as you mm-hmm. continue to walk in all who, of who you are. So thank you for being such Thanks, an incredible, Viv. incredible gift to all of us. What a gift, man. Thank you, Viv. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Right? Was Jocelyn not the best? Oh, my goodness. 24-year-old, fiery, fierce, fabulous Jocelyn. Um, My call to action for all of you listening today is go and check out her work. Follow her on Instagram and check out her Patreon. Support her work. Um, Go over to her her website and order some stickers and prints. Um, Let's just rally behind Jocelyn with all we've got. All of her links are in the show notes. Um, check it out. And thank you so much again for being part of this community and sharing this podcast with your friends. Thank you for subscribing and uh, reviewing. Um, All of those reviews and uh, ratings help other people find the podcast. So thank you for doing that and sharing this podcast with your friends. So wow, we have so many amazing people coming up in the coming weeks. So buckle your seatbelts. We're here for season three. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us this week. As always, we appreciate your feedback and invite you to subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast to help others find this show. The outstanding team that makes Some Days Here possible is composed of an incredible group of men and women. The Some Days Here logo and graphics are designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Production. The show notes and quotes are compiled by Vicki Fan. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The Did You Know section is researched and written by Elise Izumi. The creative design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantelle Reynolds. Have a great week, and we look forward to bringing you another episode of Sunday is Here next week.